Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted a sample of the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I'm on a journey to get better in all areas of life, from wellness and mental health to career and relationships and so much more. I know getting better isn't easy, but it's a whole lot easier when you can do it together. Welcome to Better Together with me, Maria Menunos. Hey, everybody, it is Kelsey with Winnie, of course, in my lap. And we are here to tell you guys we are so excited. We are re airing a very special episode for you guys today on this beautiful Thursday. We're re-airing Maria's first conversation she ever had with Dr. Joe Dispenza. We're doing this in preparation for next week. Maria has a really amazing two-part episode chat show kind of about her experience that she had at her week-long meditation retreat with Dr. Joe. And then also really exciting, we have Dr. Joe coming back on the podcast um, for a part two, really like a catch-up follow-up episode with Maria. They're going to talk about her journey with him and, you know, how he's really changed her life. So we thought that this would be a really great opportunity to re-air this first conversation for you guys. You can kind of get in the headspace and get ready. I'm excited for you guys to re-listen to this or listen to it for the first time if you haven't before and then dive into those conversations with Maria and us next week and then Dr. Joe and her soon. Yay. All right, you guys have a beautiful rest of your day and enjoy the episode. This has been a long time coming. I've watched you in the documentary Heal. I am such a fan of your work. And I think for the benefit of the audience that is, has not been exposed to you yet, I want to start with what I always tell people about you. And that's your story of kind of the inciting incident of, of how this whole world started for you. So I think one of the most important things that I realized is that maybe, you know, when, what if the worst thing that happens to us is actually the best thing that happens to us? And, and for me, uh, you know, in order for some of us to wake up, we need a wake up call. And, and uh, in 1986, I was in a triathlon in Palm Springs, California, and I was on the biking portion of the race. And I was coming up to a corner, and I was uh, passing two cyclists on the corner. And there was a police officer that was waving me on to make the turn, but he had his back to the oncoming traffic behind him. So as I passed these two bikers, uh, a four-wheel drive vehicle going about 55 miles an hour, uh, hit me from behind on my bike and catapulted me out of my bike. And and uh, I landed squarely on my back. And when you land with that kind of force, 
the compression uh, compresses the, the vertebrae in the spine. And so I wound up uh, breaking six vertebrae in my spine, uh, T8, T9, T10, T11, T12, and L1. And uh, when I was laying there, I realized that it was pretty serious because I had a, a immediate physical change in my body and I could feel the blood kind of pooling in my in my lungs. And um, so uh, I, the neural arch of the eighth thoracic vertebrae was broken like a pretzel and the volume of each vertebrae when it compresses goes somewhere and it went back onto my spinal cord. So I had multiple compression fractures of my thoracic spine and upper lumbar spine. I had bone fragments on my cord and I had the neural arch of T8 uh, broken like a pretzel. And and the typical uh, treatment for this, uh, after four opinions from four of the leading surgeons in Southern California, was this surgery called Harrington Rod Surgery. And they basically cut off the back parts of your vertebrae. And in my case, it would be from the base of my neck to the base of my spine. And they uh, drill in these stainless steel rods in an attempt to cantilever the spinal column off the spinal cord. And then they take bone fragments from your hip and they paste it over the top and, you know, they hope for the best. And, and so the prognosis was if I didn't get the surgery, I'd probably never walk again. And, um, you know, I think if it was anybody else, I saw those films and saw the, the radiographs and CAT scans, I, I probably, if it was somebody else, probably would have made that recommendation, but this was me. And I wasn't so quick to make that decision. And in 1986, it wasn't a good idea at the time to challenge uh, your doctor. Mm-hmm. It's hard enough now. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a little bit more of an uh, awareness around it. But in 1986, it was they thought I had hit my head. They thought I had post-traumatic stress disorder. They, they just couldn't understand that, that, I, that I wasn't so quick to sign on the dotted line. Anyway... Um, I decided not to have the surgery and I just had this thought, you know, the power that made the body heals the body. And that's just how it happens. And this just came to you. Yeah. I think it was, you know, part of my uh, training and my understanding that there's an intelligence that gives us life that keeps our heart beating and digesting our food. And what was that training though? Um, because you were 23 at the time and you were a chiropractor. Yeah. So the chiropractic principle is about relieving nerve interference so that intelligence can express itself the body. Oh. And um, that when done properly, uh, not only does it reduce pain and, and increase mobility, but a lot of times certain nerves that go to certain organs and tissues uh, are released and you have a, a pretty big change. So I was taking this to another level and I had been, I studied yoga for years. I had my own yoga studio at the time. And I just believe that there's something within us that, that I could make contact with, that if I, I wasn't going anywhere, I wasn't doing anything, I was basically laying face down. And so I just said, look, I'm going to make contact with this intelligence and I'm going to give it a plan. I'm going to give it a template. I'm going to design something. And when I'm really complete with the design, I'm going to surrender my design to this greater mind and let it do the healing for me. Certainly I can't do it, but it probably knows how. So Your 23-year-old brain thought this. Yeah. This yeah. is what I like still can't get over. Yeah, and I guess, uh, and the other thing I thought was, I'm not going to let any thought slip by my awareness that that I don't want to experience. And that sounds really easy from a philosophical standpoint, but when you're in crisis or trauma, or you're in a tough situation, I think we always focus on what we don't want to have happen Mm -hmm. instead of what we do want to have happen. So this was my challenge. It was six weeks of the dark night of the soul, because I realized I couldn't get my mind to do what I wanted it to do. Which was? 
Well, I wanted to reconstruct every single vertebrae. Like, I wanted to be present and show this intelligence exactly what I wanted. So I'd start off reconstructing the vertebrae, and then the next thing I you know, I'd start thinking about, am I going to be in a wheelchair in, in, in a few months? Uh, should I sell my home? Should I sell my practice? My mind was all over the place. And, and the hormones of stress actually do this to us because when we're under the gun of the fight-or-flight nervous system or the hormones of stress, out of the infinite potentials that we could put our attention on, we always select the worst case scenario because living in stress is living in survival. So in survival, you, pre you prepare for the worst because if you prepare for the worst and something less happens, you have a better chance of surviving. So, so six weeks, six or seven weeks, I, I would take me hours. Like when I say hours, because every time I would lose my attention. I'd start all over again. I'd say, that's not a complete picture. And mm. what I didn't know that I was doing at the time, Maria, was that I was increasing my ability to be present and increasing my ability to stay focused. And I was firing and wiring a whole new set of neurons in the brain and, and creating a whole new level of mind. Anyway, at six weeks, somewhere between six and seven weeks, it, it was like I hit a tennis ball right in the sweet spot, like I had a golf ball just right. Something clicked in that moment. And... From that point on, two things happened. It got a lot easier to do. What took me two or three hours to do, I was able to do in 45 minutes because I had installed the hardware. That's where my attention, my mind was. And uh, secondly, you know, uh, you, you get to this point where it gets easy and I started noticing my body. All, I started getting feeling back. My pain levels went down. I started to correlate what I was doing inside of me and, and the effects it was producing outside of me. And the moment that happened, I didn't dread doing it any longer. I was looking forward to it. And, I, and in, uh, in 10 and a half weeks, I was back on my feet um, uh, and they wanted to cast me for this full body cast and, and uh, they casted me for it. I wore it like maybe 10 minutes and just wasn't, I knew I, knew I was healed. And so- After you had started walking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, when you went back to the hospital and they they scanned you and saw your back, what did they see and what did they say? Well, I mean, the the main surgeon uh, from Scripps Hospital in San Diego, he was the the Marcus Welby. You know, he was the, the medical director of the hospital. He was, you know, uh, elderly man, salt and pepper hair. You know, very credible. You know, published. Uh, he was the one that gave me the most most trouble, not most trouble challenged me the most. And because he kept saying, if you were my son, you would be on the operating table right now. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I had great conversation with him. He said, this is not normal. This is, you know, congratulations. Uh, I don't know that I would still advise my patients to do this because it's a, it's a great risk. Uh, but it really opened his mind. Mm -hmm. And I remember, uh, we had a, a pretty good relationship after that because he respected that there was, uh, there, there was a strong element that that, that uh, mind was involved in, and, and that just I just made a deal with myself. If I was ever able to walk again, I'd spend the rest of my life studying the, the mind-body connection and mind over matter, and doing that since 1986. Hey, Hill Squad and Better Together fam. It's been a tough year, but we hear from so many of you just how much our content is helping you heal and get better, and it makes us feel so good. Our team works so hard to deliver this life-changing content, and a lot of you guys ask, how can I have a bigger role in our Heal Squad community, or how can I do my part to help Better Together continue to uplift even more people? First of all, thank you for that sentiment, and we're so grateful for this community. If you could help us by giving us a five-star 
rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts. That's amazing. Second, you could join the Better Together with Maria Menounos Instagram page. Third, you could share the show with a friend in need. And finally, for as little as $10 a month, please join our Patreon to get monthly live heal events with world-class healers, ad-free episodes of our show, and even weekly bonus episodes exclusive to Patreon. Getting better isn't easy, but it is a whole lot better when we can do it together. We love and appreciate and are so grateful for all of you. Unbelievable. Did you still have to take pain medication through that time? I, I, uh, I didn't want to take any pain medication. So your back is completely screwed and you're trying to heal yourself and you didn't even have to take pain medication. I didn't want to. I mean, I didn't want to. I wanted to get beyond uh, my body. I wanted to get beyond my pain and... And I don't know, uh, I just, I trusted my intuition, I guess, more than anything else. And, and um, uh, I, I don't, I never have back pain. I mean, I, I don't have any back pain in my body. I don't have any pain in my body. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm actually grateful that it happened because I wouldn't be sitting here right now talking to you if it didn't. Mm-hmm. I've had those experiences too. When people, um, when I tell people, they're like, do you believe them? I'm like, well, yeah, (laughs) but I also think, I wonder, because you're a chiropractor, do you think that that was helpful in the reconstructing? Because I believe in visualization and I believe that we have this power to do all of what you're saying. Um, And I think that's probably why you say if it was somebody else, I don't know if I would advise it, but what do you say to that? Well, I, I mean... Uh, there was a moment after the fourth surgeon uh, said to me, look, we don't have to put 12-inch stainless steel rods in your spine. We can put 8-inch stainless steel rods in your spine. We can leave them in for a year and then take them out and put 4-inch stainless steel rods in your spine. And I said to him, hey, doc, don't you think that would limit motion in my thoracic spine? And Mm -hmm. he said, what? You don't have any motion in your thoracic spine. Now, I was teaching (laughs) martial arts and yoga at the time. I I mean, I understand spinal biomechanics very well because of my training in chiropractic. And I just looked at him and he was about six foot three and probably 75 to 100 pounds overweight. And I just looked at him and I thought, my God, maybe you don't have any motion in your thoracic spine, but I have a hell of a lot more motion Mm -hmm. than you do. And then that was the moment I realized that I had, my view was more vitalistic than mechanistic. It wasn't, it wasn't parts and broken things and pasting them and putting them back together that, that there was an element of life force that I thought could assist in that healing. And, and, I, and to this day, uh, I still believe that. I, I believe that it's not matter that is emitting a field. I think it's the field that creates matter. So when you change the field, you change matter. And the science behind that is very supportive. So, so um, my, my ability to articulate it, my research that I've done since then, and the studies that I've done uh, in additional education has helped me to be able to put together a formula. Uh, and that formula uh, in this present time is, is producing very dramatic changes in people's lives and health. Do you have um, like a number of success stories at this point with people who have healed themselves? Listen, I, I have to tell you that I am waking up in my dream. I mean, in, in fact, I've been challenged in ways that... Um, to challenge my own beliefs because I never thought I would be seeing the healings that I'm seeing presently. When we do our week-long events, I mean, every single week-long event, we have not one, not two, we have numerous 
people stand up on the stage. I mean, I'm talking wheelchairs. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people stepping out of their wheelchairs, uh, uh, out of the, uh, well, people with crutches are no longer using their crutches. I mean, or canes. We have people with strokes that have been paralyzed for a very long time, more than two years now, lifting their arms above their head. I mean, we have blind people seeing, deaf people hearing, tumors disappearing, stage four cancers going into remission, endometriosis, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, I mean, lupus. I mean, I could go down the list. They're just, it's, it's, uh, it's like the four-minute mile. You know, once that, that barrier in consciousness was broken, uh, within a very short amount of time, everybody started doing it. And mm-hmm. I think this is kind of the same thing. There's a footprint uh, in the quantum field, in consciousness, that people can step into energetically. And at the same time, evidence is the loudest voice. So we have the brain scans, we have the HRV measurements, we have, we've measured genetic changes, immune regulation changes, uh, we've measured telomere changes, uh, neurotransmitters, we've measured energy around the body, we've measured just about every, everything you can think of uh, to show that transformation is actually possible. But then when you start seeing people stand on the stage and say, yeah, I, was, I had 50 brain tumors and they told me that I would never make it through the night three times and, and here's my brain scans and I, I don't have any tumors now, none. And they applied your concepts and your formula. Exactly. And, and it wasn't easy. And it wasn't, it's not a Hollywood version, a glamorous version of a person overcoming all odds. Uh, they took a lot of hits. Mm-hmm. And, and, but they tell their story and the entire audience is riveted. Nobody's moving. Everybody's leaning in. I'm getting because, the chills just thinking about it. Because evidence is the loudest voice. And now you have not only the scientific measurements, but you have evidence of people who really have made the, the, the personal change and transformation. And, and the cool thing about it, Maria, is that people in the audience that are listening to this may have a rare genetic disorder, just like that person who's saying, wow, they don't look like they're in shape. Hey, they don't look young and you know, anything, any special or any, anything different than me. And they start uh, relating. If they can do it, I can do mm-hmm. it. And I think that just like a, uh, an infection spreads amongst the community and creates disease, I think health and wellness can be as infectious as disease. And we're starting to see that when we have a community of 1,000 people or 1,500 people at an event and we start breaking through, then, wow. I mean, just uh, I, I, the type of things that are happening has opened my mind uh, to a very a very new level. You know, I was with uh, my neurosurgeon yesterday. We were talking about this. Um, we had a meeting about this uh, charitable thing we're working on. And at the end, he's like, can you stay back for a second? I want to talk about your brain tumor. I said, like, of course. He's like, how are you feeling? I'm like, I'm good. And he's like, have you thought more about the radiation plan? Because he's wanted me to radiate the remainder of the tumor that wasn't... Um, he wasn't able to get surgically without <clears throat> giving me great damage. And I said, uh, yeah, I remain terrified of radiation because I see what it did to my mom. My mom has stage four brain cancer. And I said, I, I just, I think there's another way. I said, I think I applied kind of my powers to my mom and my mom's doing really well. And we've been able to shrink her tumor down to a crumb I said, but I haven't put that effort towards myself yet. I said, so I want to give my ch- myself a chance to to do it myself. And then I started telling him about you. And he brought up a story of a patient of his back in the day, Dick Gregory, who apparently is famous. I have to look him up. Sure, I know who Dick Gregory is, yeah. 
and he said that he had <clears throat> cancer and, you know, it, it was, I believe it was in his spine and he wanted Dr. Black to operate on him. And he said, well, you're going to have to do chemo and radiation. And he's like, I'm not doing the toxic stuff. I'm okay with the surgery, but I'm not going to do the chemo and the radiation. So he left to go to Mexico. He's like, I'm going to do this holy water in Mexico for three weeks. So he went, he did the holy water. He came back completely cured. And Dr. Black was like, I don't know if it was the holy water per se. He's like, I really believe it was his mind that healed him. And he said, I believe you can do this. And when you can have a doctor that will look you in the eye and say, I believe that you can do this. I mean, it has to be a certain person that is willing to be committed to it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to believe. Sure. When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. <laughs> and that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but it's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're going to love it. And and belief is like pregnancy. Either you are or you're not. Mm-hmm. There's no in-between. And um, while that that is, it's, amazing, I, it's an amazing idea that you can give someone... Uh, a sugar pill, uh, a saline injection, uh, give them some type of external substance like water, uh, perform some false surgery or treatment. Mm-hmm. And a certain percentage of those people will accept, believe, and surrender without analyzing it for one second that they're getting the actual substance and their body begins to make their own pharmacy of chemicals that match the exact thing they think they're taking. So then, is it the inert substance, the placebo that's doing the healing, or is it the body's innate capacity to heal? And so then, that that water, the pill, uh, the, the saline injection is a symbol. It's a symbol of possibility. And a certain percentage of people will, if the doctor's enthusiastic, if um, they're, they explain the, the, tell a story about how the drug potentially works, they will assign meaning mm-hmm. to what they're doing. I mean, more than 80% of people that are in a triple-blind placebo study for depression that are given a placebo, that's four out of five people, respond as well as the people that are taking the antidepressant. They've done brain scans to prove that the person is actually better in eight weeks. And every day, all they're doing is taking that inert substance and their mind is going to the thought they're going to get better. And then when they start thinking about getting better, they begin to change their emotional state. They start to get optimistic. They start feeling grateful. They start feeling inspired. They start looking forward to a new outcome. And expectation uh, is what begins to cause the body to begin to change its physiological state. So a clear intention 
and an elevated emotion changes your state of being. And so for eight weeks, those people are making their own pharmacy of antidepressants mm-hmm. just by thought alone. And, and there's been so many studies where uh, people take a, a placebo for pain and they're making their own morphine. They give, them, they give them substances that block the morphine receptor site and all their pain comes back <laughs> because they realize that, wow, they're, they're, they're making their own morphine. So our body's innate capacity to do that is, is, is unnerving. And I think physicians can use it to an advantage or a disadvantage. By the same means, when someone gets a diagnosis, the first emotion they typically feel is fear. Mm-hmm. And the moment they, they hear the news, they have a change in their internal state and they pay attention to what the cause is. And that brain takes a snapshot and that's called a memory so long-term memories are created by highly charged emotional experiences. So the person then is living in fear and they can say, um, I'm healthy, I'm healthy, I'm healthy, I'm healthy, I'm, I'm going to beat this, I'm going to beat this, I'm going to beat this. That's the thought in their brain, but that thought is never making it to the body because the mind and body are in opposition. The body's saying, no, you're not, no, you're not, no, you're not, you're in fear. So teaching people then how to self-regulate and change their emotional state is one of the key elements because whatever the doctor says past that point, you have three months to live, you have six mm-hmm. months to live, you have nine months to live. That's a voodoo curse. And people have, there's been so many studies to show that people usually die right around that time because they believe it. They, that programs their autonomic nervous system into that outcome. Mm-hmm. So a doctor who will sit down with a person and connect with them and say, you know, I absolutely believe that it can be done. I may not know how, but I'm going to support you in doing that. I think that that, that gives the patient and empowers the patient mm-hmm. uh, to all of a sudden have support because that white lab coat uh, is a very strong symbol of authority, right? And so oh, sure. disapproval, uh, of course, closes down uh, possibility for people. And, and I think this is a, such an amazing time in history because um, so many different paradigms are breaking down because information is so readily available. I mean, mm-hmm. 50 years ago, you went to your doctor and she said, you have this condition, we need to take this organ out. And if we're in there and this organ's not working, we're going to take that out too. And most people would say, oh, thank you, you know, and they'd sign on the line. Yeah. And fast forward to today, you get a diagnosis and the first thing that happens is people go, go they go home and they research it. They, they have information, they have, their, they have access to information in and they show up at their doctor's office and they say, well, I want to try this therapy or I want to try that. And the doctor may say, I don't know anything about that or that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And people are saying, really? Time to find a new doctor. Like, I want somebody that is going to work with me. And there's great research to show that when people feel good mm-hmm. about their doctor, feel mm-hmm. good about what they're doing, the, the feeling good about it is a, such an important element. And yeah. it may not be a linear path but at least you're moving in a certain direction. And then, you know, try it out for three months or six mm-hmm. months. Do all the things you need to do. Get your body emotionally in balance. Get it physically in yes. balance. Get it chemically in balance. And let the bodies return back to homeostasis. And all this extra energy that the body now has can be utilized uh, for growth and repair. So, so when you begin to do this over time, three months, measure again. And if it's improving keep going. Mm-hmm. If it's not improving, you got to change something up. I mean, let's be practical. It's not denial. It's actually investigation. You want to be the scientist with your own body and say, hey, am I producing an effect? I'm at cause here. So, so medicine, and I love medicine, works really great for acute health conditions. You know, you break an arm, you, you, you go to emergency and you, you, you get that type of treatment. Chronic 
health conditions require a lifestyle change. Just a pharmaceutical is not going to do it. A person has to start making different choices. Well, also because they're usually rooted in emotion, yeah, right? Yeah. No, I mean, 75 to 90% of every person that walks into a healthcare facility in the Western world walks in because of psychological or emotional stress. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the act of reacting to some condition in your life really turns on a primitive nervous system and I call the fight or flight nervous system. And you're mobilizing all your body's resources, all the body's vital energy for some threat in the outer environment. Now, short term, all organisms can tolerate short term stress. Mm-hmm. But if you keep turning on that stress response and you can't turn it off, you're headed for disease because no organism can live in emergency mode for an extended yeah. period of time. All your energy is being mobilized for some threat in your outer environment. There's no energy in your inner environment yeah. for growth and repair for long term building projects. And, and, and uh, over time, you start realizing that, that people actually turn on that response just by thought alone. They start thinking about their problems and they're producing the same stress response as if they're being chased by Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yeah. Now, now, the problem with that is that if the thought produces those chemical reactions and the hormones of stress push the genetic buttons and create disease, that means your thoughts are literally going to make you sick. Mm-hmm. And the fundamental question is, if your thoughts can make you sick, is it possible that your thoughts can make you well? And that's kind of the interest that I have. And, and we've done numerous studies to show that you can take people. We did a study with 120 people and we said, okay, um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to measure your cortisol levels. We're going to measure your stress hormone levels. You're going to come to an event, a, a workshop for four days. And we're going to remeasure your cortisol levels. And we measured another chemical called IgA, immunoglobulin A. It's the primary defense in the body against bacteria and virus. It's the body's natural flu shot. In fact, it's better than a flu shot. And we innately make this. But as cortisol levels go up, as stress hormones go up, your immune system is suppressed, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so we said, okay, let's change the frustration, the anger, the impatience, the resentment, whatever the emotion is that's correlated with the hormones of stress. And let's do a heartfelt emotion. Let's do gratitude, appreciation, kindness, uh, thankfulness, and let's, let's start self-regulating. And, and we put heart rate monitors on them to make sure that they were doing it. At, uh, 10 minutes a day for three days in a row, right? Three times a day. At the end of three days, three and a half days, we remeasured everything. Their IgA levels went up 50%. Five zero? 50%. Wow. That's, that means that their body was really beginning to move back into balance and homeostasis. So gratitude, you know, the funny thing about gratitude is that we're conditioned and hypnotized into believing that we need a reason to be, be grateful. No, when you get, when you, when something happens to you or something's happening to you, when you're receiving something mm-hmm. or you've received something, mm-hmm. you feel gratitude and you say, thank you. Well, when you start to feel gratitude, Ahead of the actual experience, the emotional signature of gratitude means it's happening to you. It's already happened to you. That gratitude is the ultimate state of receiving. So you can take a person who's been diagnosed with cancer, say as an example, and they're living in fear, and turning that battleship around, instead of them surrendering to fear every day, you teach them how to surrender to love or to gratitude. And when they start self-regulating, well, their immune system is going to get stronger. We know that. Uh, And at the same time, the thought of them getting better is going to make it into the body because the thought 
is it can be received by the feeling of gratitude because the body's believing, believing as the unconscious mind that it's in a state to receive, that something wonderful is happening to it. So you can begin to program the autonomic nervous system to work in a very different way. And, um, and, and it, takes, it takes practice, but, um, but yes, it's entirely possible. And, and, we, and we, see, we, we measure this. And once you know the skill on how to do this, it's, it's just like anything else. Like, once you know how to do it, uh, you can do it with your eyes open as well as your eyes closed. And you can turn some of those very strong chemicals that become, we become like addicts, you know, the, it's a drug, you know, the arousal of the stress hormones. Uh, people start to become very dependent on them and, and they use the problems and conditions in their life to reaffirm uh, this emotional need to feel these, uh, feel these chemicals. And that means they become addicted to the life they don't even like, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and if you can turn on that stress response just by thought alone, you can become addicted to your own thoughts. Now, this is, this is a challenge for people because this explains why change is so hard. Because, because it becomes your identity. Well, not only, yeah, it is your identity, but by the same means, just like an addict overcoming heroin, you're going to have some cravings. You know, you're going to say, hey, it's been two days since you suffered. I mean, come on. The you body, get uncomfortable. The, yeah, the, the hardest part about change is, is not making the same choices you did the day before. And the moment mm -hmm. you decide to make a different choice, get ready, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be unfamiliar. It's going to be unpredictable. There's going to be some uncertainty. You're, you're leaving the known mm -hmm. biologically, neurologically, chemically, hormonally, genetically. You're stepping into a river, to cross a river to become somebody else. And, and when people really start understanding that their personality creates their personal reality, and your personality is made of how you think, how you act, and how you feel. That means then the present personality who's listening to this show has created the present personal reality called their life. And if you want to create a new life, a new personal reality, you got to change your personality. That means you got to start thinking about what you've been thinking about and change it. Mm -hmm. Become aware of your unconscious habits and behaviors and notice them and, and look at the emotions that you live by every single day that keep you connected to the past and decide do these emotions belong in my future? And I think most people try to create a new personal reality as the same personality and it doesn't work. But when people really begin to understand that they can rewire their brain, they can make new, new neurochemistry, they can make new hormones, they can signal new genes. I mean, it all of a sudden, when they start becoming a different person, then they don't have to visualize anything. They don't have to see the tumor shrinking. The, the disease existed in the old person. They're, they're somebody else. And, oh, my God. And it just Whoa. disappears. And, and so... So you don't even have to work at it at that point. The body's just flowing right. in the right place. Right. And, and it does require unlearning. It does require breaking the habit of being yourself. Yeah. It does require be, a certain level of energy and awareness. And it's, it, re, it requires lighting a match in a dark place and sitting in that discomfort and not getting up and checking your cell mm -hmm. phone or getting on the, on the phone or, or, you know watching TV or being distracted by an, in, in your computer. This is, you gotta, you gotta be willing to, to know that you gotta sit in that discomfort because that's what people are running from all the time. Mm -hmm. So the person who's going to say, no, you know what? Um, I'm really uh, insecure or I'm really, I live in fear or, whoa, um, I feel really empty. Now this is, uh, this is the moment. This is a defining moment for people because now they're saying, okay, there's, I got to believe that there's something else here. And I think when you believe in yourself, you believe in possibilities. And when you believe in possibilities, you believe in yourself. So people start taking their power back in a, in a very unique way. And, um, and, and, and they go all in. They go all in. And, and they understand then 
uh, and I think science has become the contemporary language uh, of mysticism. I think science is what demystifies the mystical. And so, so, uh, and this is a time in history where it's, it's not enough to just know. This is a time in history to know how. Yes. And, and that's, uh, that's for me the most important thing. I love uh, being with people that want to put it to, put it to, put it to the test. And, and when you do, uh, I'm always astounded by how unlimited human beings are. And you can't tell me you're too old to do this. We have people in their eighties in our work that are, have brain scans that will blow your mind. Uh, you can't tell me you're too sick to do this. We have people that have been really sick that turn that thing around. Uh, you, you can't tell me you had a, a turbulent past. There are people mm-hmm. that have had brutal pasts that are happy, healthy, well-adjusted people. Uh, you can't tell me you're too overweight, too underweight. You can't, I mean, you can't, I, I've seen it in all shape sizes and, and, uh, and it's, it's an amazing thing because once you start reasoning it and you start thinking about it, it does make sense. And when it starts making sense to people, uh, then they can begin to assign more meaning behind what they're doing and put more intention behind it. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and one of the things that has to happen is that you can't control the outcome. In other words, it's not going to happen the way you think it should, because that's a known. You got to be open to having it happen in a way that you just you can't you can't predict, and mm-hmm. and and that means you got to lay down the very thing you use your whole life to get what you want for something greater to to occur, and and that's that's a uh, that's something we have to work on as well. And and but step by step, people make these brilliant uh, changes by changing their identity. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do: snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days and I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor and it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios and then I got addicted and now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, Plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's Frizi Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. You know, I feel like I, for the last almost two years, I've been helping people through brain surgery and helping their caretakers and um, some, you know, it's broadened out to other people with different cancers where they ask me for my advice because of what we've gone through. And there are different situations that happen a lot where 
recently I was on the phone with a family who had multiple physicians in their family and they're like, and we have, we're studying this immunotherapy, we're doing that, we're doing this. And they were all over it. And I was so blown away. And I could hear a wife in the background speaking. I said, could you speak up a little bit back there? I said, I have a weird feeling about you. And she said, well, I'm not a doctor. And I said, yeah, that's why I want to talk to you. And she had the most amazing gut instincts about what should take place. And they hadn't explored anything outside of just the medical things that, you know, the other people in the family could process and, and how much power we have inside of us and um, all of the different things that I always, you know, I kind of go from, you know, East to West and the spiritual and the emotional, I cover all the bases with them. And it's funny. I said, you guys just told me that he used to walk the dog and he was doing great. And now he's just, bedridden and depressed. I said, do you guys think that any of that has to do with everyone around him believing that he's done? Mm Because you guys all just told me he probably doesn't have much time left. I said, if you all shift your thoughts and you all believe that he can have a miraculous recovery and you pump him with that feeling, don't you think that will help? And she said, yes. She's like, we text every night. I can't believe this is happening to us. I go, what if this was happening for you? What if there's some reason this is happening for you? You guys are such a tight family. And so how do you get people out of that thinking? I have another friend I was helping who is very depressed, has been her whole life. And she's like, I feel like I have this dark cloud following me. I said, but we've had an amazing day today. That dark cloud didn't follow you today. I said, but you made a series of choices today to be happy and to be in the moment and to enjoy. I said, so... If you could have happiness today, why can't you make similar choices tomorrow and be happy tomorrow? But it's so hard to reach people who feel so comfortable in that pain because that's all they've known. How do you reach them? Well, I mean, information is the biggest uh, way to reach people. And I now know that if you give people sound scientific information and uh, every time we learn something new, we make new connections in our brain. I mean, uh, Research shows that one hour of focused concentration on a concept or an idea doubles the number of connections in your brain, that you have physical evidence. You're installing new hardware. Now, I now know if you can build a model of understanding with people, and then the next step is to have them turn to the person next to them and explain it. If they can't explain it, then it's not wired in their brain, and they're going to doubt it's possible. Once Mm -hmm. they start developing this model... They're making their brain fire in new sequences, new patterns, and new combinations. And whenever you make your brain work differently, you're changing your mind because mind is the brain in action. So then as they're able to build this model and repeat it, they're installing their neurological hardware in their brain in preparation for an experience. And the more you understand what you're doing and why, the how gets easier. So then if you can set up the conditions in the environment and give people the proper instructions... And certain percentage of those people are going to get their behaviors to match their intentions. They're going to get their actions equal to their thoughts. They're going to get their mind and body working together. And when they do, they're going to have a profound experience. Now, experience further enriches the circuitry in your brain. That's what experience does. It enhances circuitry. And the end product of an experience is an emotion. Now, all of a sudden, you start to feel unlimited. You start to feel inspired. You start to feel abundant. You start to feel empowered, whatever the feeling is. Now, you're teaching your body emotionally to understand what your mind is intellectually understood. So, knowledge is for the mind and experiences for the body. 
And in that moment, you're beginning to embody the truth of that philosophy, that theory. And you're literally signaling new genes in new ways. The body's getting new information. And that new information is what's selecting, instructing the gene. And genes make proteins. And proteins are responsible for the structure and function of your body. And the expression of proteins is the expression of life. So all of a sudden, you make new hormones, new enzymes. You make new tissue. The bodies, you're beginning to become the very thing that, uh, that you're putting your attention on. Now, if you've done it once should be able to do it again. And if you can repeat an experience over and over again, mm-hmm. you're going to neurochemically condition your mind and body to begin to work as one. And when you've done something so many times that your body now knows how to do it as well as your mind, now it's innate in you. It's automatic. It's second nature. It's a skill. It's a habit. Uh, it's who you become. It's who you are. You've, now you're beginning to master that philosophy. You're embodying it. You're, you're owning it. So I think we go from philosopher to initiate to master, uh, from mind to body to soul, from knowledge to experience to wisdom, uh, to thinking to doing to being, to learning it with your head, applying it with your hands, and knowing it by heart. And, and people have to come to a point uh, where they all of a sudden realize that they're a participant in this, in this whole thing. And it, even if the person says, if they accept, hey, look, I don't know that I can beat this thing, but at least I can live the next several years of my life happy, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it makes a huge difference. And so people who are depressed uh, because of a diagnosis, then they can't think greater than how they feel. And that's the challenge. When feelings become the means of thinking, or we can't think greater than how we feel, then for the most part, we're thinking in the past. And we, we've studied brains uh, during the transformational process. Uh, and we see that when you start analyzing your life, within some disturbing emotion, and it's typically derived by the hormones of stress, that 100% of the time, the analysis is going to make your brain worse. It's going to drive it more out of balance. Teach a person how to get beyond the emotion. The memory without the emotional charge is called wisdom. And now you're no longer anchored to the past. The body's free, right? So do you even mean with therapy and having to continue to analyze it, you're making it worse? Well, um, I think insight is important, but insight never changes behavior. Mm -hmm. You can, I don't care what the insight is. Your father was overbearing. Your mother was a perfectionist. uh, You have a chemical imbalance in your brain. Mercury's in retrograde. um, You were this person in a past life. All the insight, all the information does not change the condition. (laughs) We have to, we have to get into the operating system. We have to get into those programs, those emotional reactions, those unconscious beliefs, those unconscious habits, and begin to reprogram that. And, and there's a way to do that because the whole purpose of meditation is to get beyond the analytical mind. And what separates the conscious mind from the subconscious mind is the analytical mind. And the only way you're going to know how to do that or do that is to learn how to regulate your brainwaves and begin to slow them down. So as you begin to slow down your brainwaves, you get beyond your analytical mind and you're entering... Those, that, that operating system where all those programs exist, and 95% of who we are by the time we're 35 years old. It's a set of memorized behaviors, unconscious wow. emotional reactions, unconscious beliefs, perceptions, hardwired attitudes that function automatically like a, a computer program. Well, that means that 95% of the time people are unconscious uh, to, to how, how they're being, right? And, and so becoming conscious of that, overcoming, even if you just say every day, I'm gonna, I'm gonna overcome my fear. Every day I'm going to overcome my depression. Every day I'm going to feel better than yesterday. That act of doing that, that you're, 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 
you're, you're informing the system. You're putting new information into your body that's causing your body maybe, maybe slowly, slowly every day to begin to change. And of mm-hmm. course, some days are easier than others, but um, I have so much hope in that because I think that's, that's innate in us. I think that's what we, we, we naturally know what to do, to do when, we're, when, we're, um, when we're challenged uh, to that measure. So it sounds like learning new things is really important. Changing your routine, I read about, is really important. What other ways can people start to reprogram themselves? Well, um, there are two very important windows that open up uh, that allow your body and your brain to be more suggestible to information. And that is when you wake up in the morning... Your brain waves go from very slow delta to theta to alpha to beta. And when you go to bed at night, you go from beta to alpha to theta to delta. So you slide up the scale when you wake up and you slide down the scale when, when you go to bed at night. And, and most people, when they go to bed at night, they just go from beta boom, right down the delta. They fall very quickly. Uh, but you can teach people then how to just sit and slow everything down and begin to visualize, begin to affirm, begin to uh, change their thoughts, uh, to begin to work with their body uh, when they wake up in the morning, when they go to bed at night. And it seems, uh, according to our research, that those changes can last for hours. A person feels better. They don't feel as stressed. They don't feel as imbalanced. They don't feel as as incoherent. They're they're not worrying as much. They're not obsessing as much. They're not over-focused about something as much. Uh, and and th- those are those are beautiful windows when we wake up in the morning and, and when we go to bed at night. I also want to talk about, I mean, there's so much research behind all of this stuff, but um, you said that thoughts are the language of the brain, feelings are the language of the body. Those create a state of being that becomes our identity. So now, if that is all true, which I believe, how how do you reverse that thing that you've been for 40 years and create the new state of being, because you can also do that in the other way. And then I want to get more into kind of crossing that river of change and how to deal with that uncomfortable feeling and, and maybe embracing it because I really want to give people tangible tips aside from going to your workshops, which I'm going to tell everyone to go to, because I can't wait to go to one. Um, tangible tips they can start applying now because people are suffering right now and need it immediately. Sure. Um, Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Well, thoughts are the vocabulary of the brain and feelings are the vocabulary of our body and how we think and how we feel creates a state of being. So what do most people do when they wake up in the morning? Your brain is a record of the past. It's an artifact, a memory bank of everything you've learned and experienced to this moment. So people wake up in the morning and they start thinking about their problems. Mm-hmm. And those problems are memories in the brain that are connected to certain people and certain things at certain times and places. That's after we've read about the world's problems on right. Twitter and on right. Facebook and exactly. everything. And all of that. <laughs> so they wake up in the morning and they start thinking in the past. Now, the moment they start having those thoughts, uh, every, every one of those experiences has an emotion associated with it. So when they start thinking about their problems or the problems of the world or the problems of their body or whatever it is, problems at work they all of a sudden start to feel the correlated emotions. So now their body's in the past. <laughs> so now people then get caught up in an emotion. They, they reaffirm their identity. They, they could wake up in the morning and feel nothing at all. And then all of a sudden they say, well, wait a second, I got to get back to myself. So they start thinking about their problems and here come the emotions. And they say, oh, now I feel like me again. Mm-hmm. I have so, so much to do. Right, right. 
So those emotions then begin to influence our thoughts. Like if you, if you feel like a failure, you're going to think you're a failure. And when you think you're a failure, you're going to feel like a failure. And when you feel like a failure, you're going to think more thoughts equal to being a failure. And the cycle of thinking and feeling and feeling and thinking causes you to say, I am a failure. And then you become one. And well, you become one. That's your state of being. You, and, the, and the repetition of that process of thinking and feeling and feeling and thinking conditions the body to become the mind of that emotion. Now the, the emotion is stored in the body. Now the body's literally in the past. Mm-hmm. And the body as the unconscious mind doesn't know the difference between the actual experience that's creating the emotion and the emotion that you're creating by thought alone. Your body's believing it's in the same experience 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Even if that experience happened 20 years ago. No, no, it, 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 absolutely the body is still living in that past experience. So then getting people out of the past uh, is the work. So then they wake up in the morning uh, after they reaffirm who they are and they can't think greater than how they feel, they're in the familiar past. So if you're in the familiar past, you're going to do the things that reaffirm the emotions of your predictable future. So you wake up in the morning, you check your WhatsApp, you check your your text, you know, you Mm -hmm. check your Twitter, you tweet, you check your Facebook, you check your email, you check the news, you check your other email. You, you 30 go, minutes has passed, now yeah. you're late for work. Yeah, but, but, and the <laughs> thing is, is that now you are really connected to everything that's known in your life. And then you run through a series of routine behaviors. You move around your house the same way you always do. You do all the same things. You go to the same grocery store, you buy the same food, you shop the same way. You do all these, you watch the same TV shows and people do this and for 10, 20, 30 years. Now their body's on autopilot. And their body's dragging them into a predictable future based on what they did in the past. We mm-hmm. could actually take their yesterday and lift it up and set it on their tomorrow, which means then they've lost their free will Ugh. to a program. Ugh. So now the familiar past and the predictable future is called the known. There's only one place that they, you have to train a person to be so that they're not in the known, they're in the unknown, and that's called the present moment. As a first-time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps us bag stashed in the nursery. you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. (laughs) (laughs) Bonus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, they keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. Mm -hmm. That's why meditation is so important. That's why meditation is so important. But that's also why um, I know at Tony's seminar is he talks about like the, you know, your happiness is really dependent on how much uncertainty you can handle. And if, if what we're talking about right now, excuse me, what we're talking about right now is your future is determined by these feelings. So there's no spontaneity available. Right. When you can, so listen, nothing exciting can ever happen for you. Exactly. Because most people can't get out of bed in the morning because they can predict the feeling of everything that's going to happen to them in their life. And, and when the, and the body's resigned because nothing new is going to happen. Oh my God, this is blowing my mind. And you feel 
like a psychic because you knew. Right. Yeah. We love to be right. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. And, and for the most part, it takes crisis or disease or diagnosis or loss to finally wake a person up to finally say, I better start thinking about what I've been thinking about. Yeah. I better start becoming aware of what I'm speaking, how or, I'm acting. Or also for women, what I find is that they matter enough sure. to love themselves and to take care of themselves because everyone's like, oh, I have to do this. I have to take care of this person that's been horrendous to me right. because I can't live with myself. It's like, right. no, no, no. You actually are so scared to get out of that bad feeling because it's all you've known. Right. It's, that's the familiar territory. So, so people get very happy being unhappy because they would rather cling to their unhappiness than take a chance in possibilities. So, so stepping into that river and beginning to make a new choice and understanding that that uncertainty, that unpredictability is the unknown. Now you're in that river of change and it is the neurological, the biological, the chemical, hormonal, genetic death of the old self. Mm -hmm. And people say to me, well, if there's uncertainty, I can't predict my future. And I always say the same thing. The best way to predict your future is to create it, not in the known, right, right there. That uncertainty, you can learn now how to regulate your state instead of be living in fear because, well, uh, the, the the idea that things are going to get worse, the idea that you can't predict, mm -hmm. or the idea of being uncertain or can't control something actually sets off the stress response. So now you're in the unknown and, and the survival gene is switched on. Of course, people are going to, out of the infinite possibilities that exist in the quantum field, they're going to select the worst scenario in their mind, right? So then what if you're in the unknown and you understand that and now you can work back into that present moment and you say... What thoughts do I want to fire and wire in my brain, put my attention behind? What behaviors today, one day, what behaviors do I want to demonstrate? And the act of closing your eyes and mentally rehearsing who you're going to be when you open your eyes begins to install the neuro neurological hardware in your brain to look like you've already done it. Now the brain is no longer a record of the past. Now it's a map to the future. And, and this is all fact, by the way. For anyone who's listening, this is not... You know, Joe, just believing that you can change your life by thinking differently. These are all proven facts, which is why your work is so amazing, because you actually have tested every single one of these things. Sure. So then, so by rehearsing mentally and doing it over and over again, the hardware becomes a software program. And who knows? You just might start acting like a happy person. Well, there's no magic there. You install the circuitry. Mm -hmm. You may start thinking in more unlimited ways. You, you put those circuits in place. Now, here's the tough part. Uh, and can you teach your body emotionally what that future is going to feel like before it's made manifest? That means you can't wait for your healing to feel gratitude and, uh, and, and wholeness. You can't wait for your wealth to feel, to feel worthy and, and uh, abundant. You can't wait for your new lover to feel, to feel love. Uh, that's the old model of reality of cause and effect, mm -hmm. waiting for something outside of us to take away our emptiness and pain that we feel inside of us. That's Newtonian cause and effect. The quantum model of reality is about causing an effect. That means the moment you start feeling worthy and abundant, you're generating wealth. The moment you're in love with yourself and you're in love with life, you create an equal. Well, the moment you start feeling gratitude and wholeness, your healing actually starts to begin. Mm -hmm. So then the word meditation literally means to become familiar with. That's what that word means. So the biological model is 
Well, you got to become familiar with your unconscious thoughts. You got to become aware of your unconscious habits and behaviors. You got to become so familiar with your emotional state saying, oh my God, I've been feeling guilt for the last 10 years. I didn't know it was guilt. It just felt like me. And this is what happens during meditation. You start to see some of these things. You have to. I never thought about it like that. Yeah. And so then as you begin to observe those states of mind and body, consciously, you're no longer the program. You're the consciousness observing the program and you start pulling consciousness out of our biology, right? Objectifying our subjective self. Now, that overcoming process is the most important part of this work because once you overcome it, you're no longer looking at your future through the lens of the past. In your brain and in your body, chemically and emotionally, you're seeing possibilities. So then it's natural once you've disentangled from those programs Mm -hmm. to start thinking differently, to start acting differently, to start feeling differently. And, And as you start thinking differently, firing and wiring, and, and you start installing the circuits and rehearsing who you're going to be, you start behaving differently, you start feeling differently, you keep doing that, it's going to begin to become familiar to you. And over time, as you overcome, as you overcome, as you overcome those aspects of yourself, you're actually becoming somebody else. There's, there's a becoming process that begins to take place. And, and some people do it very quickly. Uh, other people, it just takes some time. But once you understand the formula. And once you understand mm-hmm. what it all means, um, you start seeing people make some pretty big changes. Does the fake it till you make it thing work? No, I'm not all, about, I'm not about positive thinking. People, you know, people can think positive with the 5% of their conscious mind, but they're feeling negative for the last 40 years. That mm-hmm. thought's never going to go anywhere. It's about changing your state of being. It so really is. with meditation, so if I'm meditating and thoughts are coming into my mind, my job in meditation is to clear my thoughts and to try to get rid of them. So am I supposed to be paying attention to the things that are coming in and realizing that those are the things I need to work on? No, I think that, um, you know, we're habituated. You're habituated to think about your kids, to think about your husband, to think about the grocery list, to think Mm -hmm. about when the garbage day is, to think about your errands you have to run, think about the emails you have to answer. We're habituated to shift our attention from one thing to the next. We have this mobile thing called awareness, you know? And so we, we habituate ourselves into shifting our attention very quickly so that we can get a lot of stuff done. And when you do that, your brain waves kind of amplify into a, a, a higher aroused state called high beta uh, brain waves. And, and that's, good. that's good if you need to do, be alert. But as those thoughts come in, I don't really care that they come in. I'm just noticing they're coming in, but they're not the thoughts I want to put my attention on. So as you begin to have those thoughts coming in and you start applying a, a way to change your brain waves, in the beginning, yeah, just like when you work out, in the beginning, ah, I don't want to do this, it hurts. And then halfway through the workout, you're totally involved in it and your fatigue is gone. You're not thinking about anything else. You're clear. Well, you keep doing it. We Our research shows that, and we just had... Uh, a group of scientists study a bunch of our brain scans in, in Bond University in Australia. Thousands and thousands of brain scans. She called me up and she said, we have never seen a community of people have the ability to change their brain waves so quickly. Like four seconds, five seconds, nine seconds. They've practiced it enough times that they know how to silence the critic in their brain. That, mm-hmm. that, that thinking is the analytical mind. And as you learn how to change your brain waves... That, that default mode network, that, that voice in your head goes away. And our research shows that it goes away during the meditation and then it goes away for the majority of the day. So nobody's saying to you, you can, it's too hard, you're too much like your mother, you're never going to change, it didn't work last time. That, 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 that's silenced in the brain. So 
it's, it's not so much that you have to try to get those thoughts out of there. You just know that they're going to come and you keep directing your thought at something else and you keep applying the formula. Mm-hmm. Sooner or later, those, the, the chatter just goes away. And that's the relief. And, and it, it, you, you practice it, then you know when you're there and you know when you're not. And so I, when I do my inner work, I, the most important thing for me is to settle into that present moment because when there's significant biological changes that are taking place in the brain and the heart, sometimes you feel so amazing you don't want anything any longer. You feel like you have everything. And that's, that's what I call the natural state of being. There's coherence, high level of order in the brain. The brain is synchronized. It's orderly. The heart is synchronized. It's orderly. It's driving new energy to the brain once energy moves into the heart. Our research, as well as other research, shows that it amplifies energy into the brain. Now you have a different awareness. You know, you're feeling differently. You're thinking differently because you're at a different level of consciousness. So getting to that point where you're self-regulated, you no longer live in lack. You no longer live in Mm -hmm. separation. In fact, you're no longer needing anything out there to bring you joy or happiness. It's actually coming from within. So now you're more tolerant with people, uh, you're less reactive. You, you, you don't really want to emotionally react because you like the way you feel. And our research shows that people's oxytocin levels, their love chemicals, are way higher than the average person. Well, that's because you are what you practice. So every day they practice opening their heart in survival and stress. Not a time to open your heart, right? It's time to run, fight, or hide. Yeah. So we close that down. We, we stop trusting that. And we stop trusting ourselves. And, and no energy is in there. And so, of course, there's all kinds of health conditions that are a result of that. So then you practice opening your heart every day and you say, I'm not getting up till I feel like I'm in love with life. Well, now game is on. You're out of the bleachers. You're on the field. And in the beginning, yeah, it takes a little work. But over time, you start practicing that. All of a sudden, when you feel, when you feel that way and, and you're, you're no longer needing it from your outer world, you're going to be more unconditional with everybody in your life because mm-hmm. you're, you're not going to want to lose this feeling. You're going to say, I feel so good that... Um, I'll forgive you. I don't really care because you're not, I'm, nothing's worth losing this feeling. And so people work for it and they covet it and, and they, they learn how to maintain it. And it's not just about doing the meditation and then getting up and getting on the freeway and flipping people off or judging your coworker mm-hmm. the next moment. You're doing that meditation to change your state of being. And then your job is to maintain that modified state of mind and body your entire day. And when you do, get ready. Something unusual, something different, some synchronicity, some coincidence, uh, some opportunity is going to show up in your world. That's the law. And then all of a sudden, you start believing you're more of the creator of your life and less of the victim of your life. Because victimization is like, uh, why are you unhappy? Oh, because of this person or that thing. And what you're really saying from a biological standpoint is something out there. I'm allowing something out there to control how I feel and how I think. And that's a victim. So when you start to see how you think and how you feel begins to produce an effect in your life, mm-hmm. you start believing less that you're a victim and more that you're the creator of your life. And, yeah. and that's when people start getting empowered and they say, wow, I didn't do anything. It just kind of came to me, of course, because nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. And changing your state of being with a clear intention and elevated emotion is producing a very dramatic change in the field. And your job is to be able to maintain it independent of the conditions in your environment, independent of the chemical, emotional, habitual needs in your body, and independent of time. And being able to do that for an extended period of time, you start to see the universe start to give you feedback. And when you start measuring, wow, you at cause, 
then you wake up in the morning and you want to do it. It's not like, oh, geez, I got to go create my life. Yeah. Uh, it's not like that. It's, it's more like, oh my God, the magic's happening. I don't want to stop. I don't want to lose the magic. I want to keep going. And so people are enthusiastic and theos filled with God. You know, they, 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 they're inspired to, to create. And I, I think that we are naturally creators. And so we, we see profound changes in people's uh, body and their brain and, and on, in every level when they, when they just keep practicing. So is the practice every day meditating visualizing how you want to feel, who you want to be, and then um, and then trying to shift those negative thoughts that pop in daily? Like how, what, what's the prescription, yeah. Dr. Joe, yeah. for, for all of us out here? Yeah, okay, so... Um, I want to change. What do I do? Yeah, so, um, well, first of all, the meditations that we do are, are not based on any tradition. Uh, our meditations are based on brain science and, mm-hmm. and, and heart rate variability and all the things that we've studied. Uh, so we have different meditations for different things, you know. But um, a simple thing to do, really simple, it's, it's such an easy thing, is when you wake up in the morning, instead of remembering your problems and getting into those feelings or getting up and doing your routine, sit up, close your eyes, and ask yourself, okay, who do I want to be today? And, and say, okay, before I create this new person, let me, let me just take a moment and let me just become conscious of the thoughts that, that, that I think that don't support me any longer. I can, it's too hard, I'll start tomorrow. You start writing those thoughts down, becoming familiar with those. Then you review your behaviors, even how you speak. Do you complain? Do you make excuses? Do you feel sorry for yourself? Do you procrastinate? Do you judge other people? Just, just get a list and write those down. Look at the emotions that, that cause you to fall to a lower denominator every day. Mm-hmm. And just, just become aware of those and review those thoughts, behaviors, and emotions. Become so familiar to them, so conscious of them, that you won't go unconscious to them in your waking day. Now, that is mm-hmm. the process. That's to know thyself. And, and it's amazing because... You could actually anticipate the thought before it's coming when you get good at this. You're like, oh, no, not going to go there because you're so aware of those thoughts now because nerve cells that no longer fire together, no longer wire together. So you begin to dampen down the connections in your brain that have to do with the old self. You're no longer having the same thought that's producing the same chemical that's signaling the body to feel a certain way. You're disrupting that process. In the beginning, yeah, that's, that's uncomfortable. The body's been in that familiar state. Mm-hmm. Then if you say, okay, what thoughts do I want to fire and wire in my brain? And you have those thoughts and put all of your attention behind them. What behaviors? How am I going to be with my, my, my uh, husband? How am I going to be at work? How am I going to be on the phone today? Who am I going to make a difference with? And start to review just review, think about, and plan who you're going to be. That what if you create that person and you think that they don't want that person around? Well, I mean, it's always within reason. It's not about them. It's about you. It's mm-hmm. about who you're going to be with them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you can't control, I mean, anybody is free will, but, but what you can control or regulate is who you're going to be. So then, and then you say, okay, what emotions am I going to live by the entire day? Let's, let the test begin that no person, no thing is going to steal my joy today. I'm not going to mismanage my attention and lose the love that I feel now. And, and you start working on those emotional states and just say, I'm not getting up until I feel that feeling. Now, that little small exercise of just deciding who you no longer want to be and reviewing who you do want to be takes 20 minutes. And you get up and you feel better. And you're 
body begins to make a whole different set of chemicals, a whole pharmacy of chemicals that that really start to make you see reality differently. We don't see things how they are. We see things how we are. Mm-hmm. So when you change who you are, you're going to get a broader spectrum of the way the world really is. And, and, and look, people who are unhappy with themselves are unhappy with everybody. People who hate, them, uh, hate other people, they hate themselves. People who judge other people, they're, judging, they're always judging themselves. People who love themselves love mm-hmm. other people. People who are happy with themselves are happy with other people. And you can say to me, well, it was this person or that thing that did it to me 25 years ago. And I'm going to say to you, wow, that means you haven't changed in 25 years. That experience was the end of your evolution. Because when you say that person or that experience did it to me, you're saying, I stopped growing and changing in that moment. And the stronger the emotion you feel, the more altered you feel, the more you put your attention on that person. So then it makes total sense then. that The latest latest research on memory says that 50% of what we talk about in our past isn't even the truth that memory is creative. We make stuff up. Oh, wait, please talk about this for a second. That blew me away. Yeah, there's research on memory that says that when you tell a story of your past, that you, have, you don't have the same brain that you did in, at that moment, that 50% of that you embellish. So then people, huh, that means people are reliving a miserable life that they never even had just to reaffirm the fact that they're stuck in their past. Mm-hmm. And it's all because they want to condition their body. Conditioning process just requires a symbol, a thought, a stimulus, and a feeling. And so you remember the event, you feel the emotion, you're conditioning your body more into the past. And, and, and yeah, you're right. But valid or not, you, you, let's take that person, let's put, him, let's put him in the a rocket and shoot him to the moon. Now what? What do you want to do now? Yeah. I mean, you still, it's, you're still left with you, right? And so then what we know is that getting people out of that state, bring him up to the present moment when they start letting go, when they finally let go, the, the freedom that they feel, the joy that they feel, causes them to naturally feel these elevated emotions. So the overcoming process, that is such an important element because m- most people, oh, I just want to focus on the positive. I don't want to really, well, no. If 95% of you is an unconscious set of programs, you got to become conscious of them so you don't go unconscious during your normal day because you'll go right back into the unconscious habit and thinking the same way, acting the same way, feeling the same way and wondering why your life isn't changing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that's the work. So, oh my gosh, I have so many things. So I guess if you're doing that in the morning and you're shifting from those negative thoughts that you would have had and you're focusing on your new reality and who you want to be now, the laws of attraction apply at that point because now you're attracting all of that and that's why your day. So if I if I do my meditation in the morning and I set my intention, today's going to be a great day. Dr. Joe, my day is amazing. Like it just, it just is. If I don't do it, I can be a little rickety, right? Like there's a... Yeah, you're, you're a little vigilance, a little... You know, it li- just doesn't... Yeah, yeah. It's not... And you, and you start trying to control and force outcomes, right? Yeah. And you start trying to predict how it's going to happen. Now you're in your way, right? Because yeah. prediction, prediction is the known, right? But when you're more in the present moment and you change your energy... Look, look when you start opening your heart, the research that's done on the heart. When you start feeling an elevated emotion, the heart starts beating Mm -hmm. coherently. When you're frustrated, when you're resentful, when you're impatient, 
your heart is beating very incoherently. It's like stepping on the gas pedal and stepping on the brake at the same time. The heart's going to run, fight, or hide. And here you are sitting there with a smile on your face, and your body is going through all these chemical reactions. The heart is beating incoherently. When you start practicing moving energy back into your heart, start opening your heart, and it starts beating more coherently, it produces a measurable magnetic field that's up to three meters wide. Now, you're, you're, you're emitting a signal. That, that, that energy is frequency. And that frequency carries information, which means now that frequency can carry the thought of your health. It can carry the thought of your wealth. It's consistent with it. Suffering is not going to carry the thought of your health. It's not the same frequency. It's a different frequency. It carries the thought of, I'm a victim, or my mm-hmm. life's never going to change. That, that's the energy. So every thought has a frequency. So then, And they add up. They start creating form. And they affect other people. Around you, because if you've got that magnetic field, I want you to talk a little bit about the quantum physics of it all, because I I wonder also at the workshops, if everyone is in that state, their energy is going out and creating like a a multiple of the result, I'm sure. Yeah, some of the parts is greater than the whole. So we've measured the energy in the room. We've actually done this. And we've taken 750 people, 1,000 people, And we've had them practice opening their hearts, elevating their energy. And then we have 40 people or 50 people sitting in the front of the room with their eyes closed wearing a heart rate monitor. And we say, okay, send the the thought on that loving energy, on that elevated emotion, that their bodies be healed, that their lives be enriched, their dreams come true, that they have mystical moments. And just do it for 10 minutes. And all of those people sitting with the heart rate monitors, the majority of them, their hearts go into heart coherence at the exact same time, at the exact same day, in the exact same meditation. So they're receiving a frequency and we are bound by an invisible field of energy. And and what binds us, connects us, is love. That's what creates connection. Fear, prejudice, anger, hatred, violence, uh, uh, suffering, uh, they create separation. That's when you draw from the field. You're drawing from your vital life force around your body and you're turning it into chemistry. And the field around your body is shrinking. Now, you feel separate from everyone and everything. And when you feel more like matter and less like energy, you're going to try to force outcomes and try harder and fight for it more and manipulate and cheat or do whatever you compete, do whatever you have to do to get it, right? Because you're matter trying to change matter. When you start elevating your emotional state and you start broadcasting new information into the field, think about this. When there's a vibrational match between your energy and some potential in the quantum field, you don't go anywhere to get it. It starts being drawn mm-hmm. to you. You're the magnet to your destiny. So then the moment you start getting frustrated and impatient, you just disconnected from the energy of your future. Yes. Now you're back to the energy of your past. Don't expect anything to change in your life. And if you say to me, what was that person or that thing that did it to me? I'd say, oh, you're back to the unconscious program that you're a victim again. Yeah. And so then people start figuring this out. They start doing it. They start doing it because they understand when, they, when they're consistent with this energy and they can hold on to it. That that's manifesting. It's, it's, they're not, they don't have to go anywhere to do it. Why would they rush out of the present moment? Because the present moment's bringing it to them. And so it becomes an art. Mm-hmm. It becomes a skill. It becomes an ability. And they're able to navigate in their life in the uncertainty, in the unpredictable moment, and self-regulate in that moment. That's the key moment where it matters the most. They, they say, whoa, I'm feeling a little fear. They don't surrender the fear. They say, okay, I'm, I've lost it. I've got to stop, and i got to self-regulate. And they get back into that state mm-hmm. again. Now, to me, that's, I mean, if you get up feeling like your future has already happened, you won't be looking for it. 
Yeah. You'll feel like you already have it. Why would you look for it? Yeah. Right? Will and, you explain the field and energy to people who aren't well-versed in it? Sure. I mean, um, anybody who says that they understand quantum physics is absolutely a liar because it's this invisible field of energy. I actually looked up the book I want to get is Quantum Physics for Dummies. Yeah. Because <laughs> I want to understand it better. Yeah. So basically, quantum mechanics says this, <clears throat> that your subjective mind has an effect on the objective world at the very, very tiny, tiny level of subatomic particles. So, you know, Einstein and Planck were fooling around with subatomic particles. They were uh, putting energy into electrons, disturbing electrons, and they were expecting those electrons to fall like an apple falling from the tree, just like Newtonian predictable world, you know, in a very smooth and consistent way. And, and when they did that, it didn't happen. The electrons were disappearing and reappearing, and like a, it was more like a ball rolling down steps. And they all of a sudden realized that the tiny world of subatomic particles, atoms, don't behave like the very large world, like planets and suns and everything else, and apples falling from trees. So they started looking for the electrons, and as they start to look for them and measure them, they would appear. And so they realized that the observer, that the mind was so commingled at that, at that level of subatomic particles that it was impossible to separate the two. And in fact... Every quantum physics experiment, you have to have an observer present because without the observer being present, it changes the outcome. So, you know, I've drank martinis with quantum physicists till sunrise talking about this. And they always say, yeah, you know, the observer effect, you know, Joe, the subatomic world uh, is the only thing that it affects. It doesn't happen for very large things. And I always say the same thing. Maybe we're just poor observers. Maybe Ooh. we can get better at observation and focus. So... So the quantum field is an invisible field of energy or frequency, and all frequency carries information that's beyond this space and time. There's no bodies there. There's no people. There's no things. There's no places. There isn't even time. It's one infinite field. A, they call it the fertile void, the zero point where there's nothing physical. But that's where all possibilities exist. And you can't enter it as an identity. You can't enter it as your body. In fact... When we teach people how to connect to that field, we say to them, now it's time to become nobody, no one, no thing, nowhere, in no time. And that means if you're not your body, but you're, you have no attention on your body, no attention on your identity or the people in your life that you identify with, no attention on the things you own, the objects that, you, that you're aware of, no, no attention on the place you're sitting, the place you work, the place you sleep, the, your home and no attention on the familiar past or the predictable future, there's only one thing that you're at, you, you are in that moment, that is awareness, consciousness. And that's the eye of the needle. That is, that is the door to the quantum field, and you can't enter as a somebody. You've got to enter as a nobody. So teaching people how to get to this point, that's part of the formula. And that means they have to be able to be there without a face, without a name, without a diet, without their problems, without their disease. They have to be able to dissociate from everything known in their life. And how? Then, well, meditation. Yeah, that's what we. That's one of the formulas. We we teach people how to do that. So, so it's actually very simple. Um, most people narrow their focus on material things. Like our our eyes naturally do it. Like we we narrow our focus on objects. On it's called a narrow focus or an object focus. Turns out when you're stressed or your, the, the fight or flight nervous system switch on, now you really narrow your focus because you're looking for the danger. You're anticipating the danger. So people get really stuck in a very narrow focus. In fact, when they're under stress, they obsess. They, they obsess about one thing. They're narrowing mm -hmm. their focus and they can't get beyond that one thought. Well, that's 
that's really adaptive if T-Rex is outside the cave, right? And you're, and you're, you gotta, you gotta keep your attention. Uh, you gotta stay aroused in order so you don't get eaten. Well, that, that becomes a habit. So that kind of what's called conger, convergent focus is very unhealthy for the brain. The, as you're aroused by those chemicals and you're shifting your attention when you're in that state from one person to one appointment to another problem to another person to another place, every person, everything, every object, every place has a neurological network in your brain. So as you begin to shift your attention from all these things and the brain is aroused, it's like a lightning storm in the clouds. Your brain is firing those networks very incoherently. And when the brain's incoherent, you're incoherent. So then do the exact opposite. Go from a narrow focus, a convergent focus, to a divergent focus. Open your awareness. Focus on nothing but space. And as you close your eyes and you sense space, you stop analyzing and you stop thinking. So as you're sensing space, you begin to slow your brain waves down. And as they slow down, all of a sudden, the autonomic nervous system begins to merge and it comes forward. And it starts to synchronize those circuits that were out of balance. And what sinks in the brain links in the brain. So all of a sudden, the brain starts firing in a more coherent way. And when that happens, you're, we call it getting beyond yourself. You forget about yourself. That is the moment you're entering that field. And, and you can't enter associated with anything known. You've got to enter uh, as an unknown. You have to put more of your attention on it and less of your attention on you. Whoa. When you're making these changes and going to the workshops and working on yourself, is it more believable to think that you're going to affect the people around you in a positive way or that they can drag you down in their negative way? Well, I mean, the higher the vibration, the higher the frequency, I mean, the higher the level of awareness or consciousness. And so... So what we see in our events is we see or the first day, the first two days is about getting beyond you. Mm-hmm. And, and what I do is I set up the conditions where I, I go further than where people normally go. You know, they go to a certain point and then they finish. And I say, nah, we're going to go further. So we take them past that point and sooner or later they start letting go. So, so when they start breaking through, they're contributing to the field. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we've measured the energy in the room after the first day of most of our events, in, in fact, the first day of many events, the energy goes up and then the next day it goes up more. The next day it goes up and that's available energy for people to heal. That's available energy for people who have a mystical experience. That's a available energy for them to create with. So, so then it becomes an entraining process. And what we do really well in our research shows this is we teach people how to suppress their neocortex, shut the lights out in this mechanism here that's your memory bank of your known identity self. Turn that down. Dial that down, and our research shows that our students can do it very well. Now, once you suppress this melon here, the conscious mind, what do you got left? You got the subconscious mind, you got the autonomic nervous system, and that's the antenna. So when we see people doing this and they start in training, wow, they they start having profound mystical experiences. They start... Uh, people start having very profound energetic moments and, and they're influencing one another. <laughs> and of course, now you're moving a community of people uh, across. And once you get to that certain state, then it just becomes magic. Everybody just, it's, everybody just goes. It, it happens. We just saw, we were just doing an event in, in Mallorca uh, last week. I got back on Sunday night, uh, well, actually Monday morning. And we had 1300 people there. And, uh, 
we solicited 1,300 people, and 1,300 people said, we, I had the most amazing week of my life. That they, everybody, the entire audience, had some type of personal transformation, personal breakthrough, amazing healing, or mystical moment that changed them for the rest of their lives. And, and it, it becomes, a, uh, becomes, becomes a, a frequency that everybody becomes entrained to. And mm-hmm. so then, by the same means, as people are starting to overcome all their old programs... Nobody's complaining. Mm-hmm. And if nobody's complaining and you're the only one complaining at the, at the, at the lunch table, all of a sudden you become aware. Everybody kind of looks at you and you're like, yeah, you stick out. Oh, well, now I'm, now I'm, I'm no one else is doing it. That's how I, I don't have any agreement here. Mm-hmm. So they just finally just, they stop, you know? So, but what about when they go home? Well, that's have the, they already with the field, um, communicated in a sense with the people that are closest to them? Well, I, I can, like that I, yeah, I can tell you this, that, um, wow, we have great accounts of mothers that have had uh, grown adults with, with autism or, or mental health issues. Boy, they, they have an amazing transformation because mom's energy changed and it just affected mm-hmm. them and, and children as well. So I think that, you know, I always say when I ran my clinic in, in the Pacific Northwest, I'd always say to the staff, our energy has got to be higher than every single person that walks through that door because we want to bring everybody's energy up, right? So, so it, it works both ways. Some days you begin to entrain other people's frequency and it becomes magic. Other days you can't get beyond it and you're brought down to a lower level and that's the work. That's the work every day. How'd I do today? Yeah. At the end of your day, ask yourself, how'd I do? When, when did I fall from grace? When did I go unconscious? Yeah. When did I lose it? Well, if it happened again, what would I do differently now? Now you're evolving your own experience of self, right? And you say, well, the next time that happens, I'm going to rehearse how I'm going to be. Now you're installing the hardware to be able to move through that experience. That's evolution, right? And, mm-hmm. and I think that people start figuring that out really well. So some people return back into their lives and they do the work every day and they just, it just gets better. Some people get busy, they get tired, they miss a few days, they fall back into their, their old self again and they got to they gotta make their way back. And, and I always say to people, I don't care when you stop, I just care when you start again. I mean, mm-hmm. once you get, it's like once, a diet. Even when you were talking about the things that you write down, write down your negative emotions. When I was losing weight, I would write down all the things I would eat in a day and identify the things that were not working for me and not helping me lose weight. And it's the same thing with this. And we talk a lot, well, we've, we've been talking a lot about re-raising ourselves and how important it is to re-raise ourselves because we're so attached to the things that didn't go right back mm-hmm. then that it's defined who we are now and it's roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. So if we apply all of these principles, we're in essence re-raising ourselves into the person that we are supposed to be. Exactly. And here's the beauty behind it all. When, when the field starts responding, the universe starts giving you feedback. I swear, I swear, I've seen this so many times. When the magic starts happening and things start falling out of nowhere, mm-hmm. you will look back at your entire past in that moment, and you're not going to want to change one single thing in your past because it brought you to the present moment. Yes. That's the moment the past no longer exists. That's the moment you're free. Yeah. That's when you say, it all makes sense. And so many people now in this work, when they start raising their awareness, uh, we just had a guy send a video in from Spain. I was laughing so hard at him because he had a really difficult life when he was young. And he just kept saying in this beautiful way, I, I, it all makes sense now. I, mm-hmm. I understand. I understand everything. I've never felt this much love in my life. Of course, he's not viewing it 
from that same level of consciousness, that same level. He's viewing it from a, he's not in the labyrinth. He's looking at it from above and it yeah. all makes sense. And it's not discontinuous. It's unified because as you get closer and closer to connecting to that unified field, that invisible field of mm -hmm. energy that connects everything material. As you get closer and closer to it, you experience greater levels of wholeness, greater levels of oneness. And as you do that, you feel less separation. So things all make sense. They all connect because you're at a greater level. Imagine where you can go with that. I mean, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's the ultimate goal is where, you're, where you, you need nothing because you're so whole, you're so connected. That that why would you why would you need anything? You feel like you have it already. I think I think that's where that's the state in which the uncommon happens. Yeah. Well, with through the pain, through the suffering, comes something good, and that's what you're basically saying is whatever's happening to you in your life. If you can find a reason it's happening for you, not to you, you can get through it, and then there's something so much more special on the other side. Because if you just had a simple, easy life. You're never going to really grow. Right. This, these are the kind of moments that force you to grow. Mm -hmm. That accident forced you to grow. Those are defining moments, right? So defining moments, you have a rough experience in your past and you let that experience define you. Mm -hmm. That becomes your identity. And, and people, they wear, those, they, they wear those experiences on their sleeve and they're just waiting for you to ask them mm -hmm. about them so that they can, they can tell you why they're limited in some way. But honest to God, when you, that's no longer your identity. When you're no longer identifying with that emotion, you're no longer identifying with that memory or that experience, that means something amazing starting to happen to you. And now, you know, you're believing in your future more than you're believing in your past. You're more in love with your future than you are with your past. You're, you're telling a new story of your future and you stop telling the story of your past. I mean, People who live in the past are asleep in the present. They're not, mm. they can't be aware in the present. So, so getting people into that present moment, you know, that's the first two days of our events. It's, you, you just got to want it. You know, so you cool. just got to want it. And you got to know that there's something greater and there's, there's something on the other side. And, and, and just, we just need a few people to break through in an event and then that's it. You see a person, see a, a psychiatrist on the stage who's had Parkinson's disease for the last 25 years, who's trembling everywhere when he came, facial distortion, he's drooling, he's got a lot of pain in his body. You see him on the stage, he's got his hand out like this, no tremors, he's a psychiatrist, he's a physician, he's, he's speaking clearly. <laughs> you just take a look at him and you just go, my goodness, he's, he's a little older than me, he doesn't look like he's in shape, it happened to him, I'm in. I'm all in. Yeah. Everybody starts, they start believing in themselves more because they're seeing the evidence. And yeah, as when I you see it, you can be it. Exactly. And then you can, you can associate with it. And, and that's the connection we need to make. And that becomes, I think, the new normal. You know, it just becomes something greater. Thank you so much. This was so incredible. I feel like we have about a thousand more interviews to do throughout all the books and stuff. But the workshops for people, how many are you doing a year at this point? Well, um, my interest really, Maria, is, is the week-long events because uh, when we, were, we did 19 advanced workshops and, and we, that's when we did all the scientific measurements and they were three and a half, there were four, there were four and a half days. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought, hell, people are just breaking through and we're sending them home. When we do a seven-day event, what's possible? And, and these seven-day events, we do just about one a month uh, somewhere in the world. And, oh, that's cool. And, and they sell out in about 12 hours. Uh, they, they're about 24 hours. The event is closed because our biggest challenge now is finding the, 
venues that are big enough. And, mm-hmm. and so, so, so people, so I, I want people to come to the week longs cause they'll witness things that they'll never see in anywhere else. Amen. And, 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 and by the same means, you know, there's an online course that they have to do. It's called the progressive workshop and it's like a nine week course. All you can do it in two days if you want. Before you go. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to get all the basics. You okay. got, you got to learn all the different things that we do. You got to prepare yourself. So cool. I and, love that. And, and like don't, homework. don't <clears throat> come. homework. <laughs> yeah. Don't come unless you've seen it because we will, we'll leave you behind because you got to be ready. Yeah. And, yeah. So, so I do these progressive workshops. I don't do them anymore because, um, I just don't, I don't have the time or the interest, but we do progressive workshops in um, in different parts of the world that we haven't been. Like we just did one in Edinburgh uh, just a couple of weeks ago. We had 2,000 people there and, and uh, it was magical. So you're not there. Oh no, I'm there. Well, I do, oh. the, I do them in, I still go and do them in countries okay. that we've never been to before. Like we're going to be in Peru. Okay. We're going to be in Singapore. We're going to go to different places that we haven't been, but I don't go to Mexico. I don't do them in the United States. I don't do them in Canada. I don't do them in Italy. I don't do them in Spain or France or the UK because I've done, I've done them there before. So, so we've made it an online course in multiple languages and um, you could, it's a home study course and people love it. And then we send you another course uh, as a, as another course for you to practice with too. That's about uh, eight hours or so. And, and, and if you just follow that information, you'll, you'll be ready mm-hmm. uh, to come to a week long. Yeah. And then don't you have trainers as well that you've been training or coaches? So, so we have a um, corporate consulting company uh, to teach the model of personal change and transformations in cultures uh, or, or businesses and organizations around the world. And I have probably around uh, 80 trainers, uh, international trainers. And wow, we work with Cisco and Pfizer and Google and Coca-Cola and S- Sony of New York. Uh, uh, we've worked with some big banks. I just, I just did a training for Target yesterday. Um, and, and this buzzword called change and how do you change culture? You know, how do you do that? Uh, has been just really something very phenomenological. And, and so uh, we have uh, two different training courses that we, we use in companies and organizations. And uh, the, the trainers that I have are really super smart people and, and they're passionate about um, changing that business world. Because, you know, think about it. It's a third of your life for most people. And that third of their life, they're living in emergency mode just about the whole entire mm-hmm. time. They're, they're, they're laboring and working. And you can guarantee the person's going to make mistakes we're going to guarantee, we can guarantee the person's not going to communicate. We're going to guarantee the person's going to be sick more. Uh, and all of those things start to add up. So we work with those companies and, and, um, and, and teach them how to make dramatic changes uh, in the culture. So cool. Hey, Hill Squad. We have been on quite the journey together. And we're hearing from so many of you just how much this show is helping you heal and get better. And it makes us feel so good. We love, love, love it. And we just ask that you don't keep it to yourself. Spread the message and share the show or your favorite episode with your friends. And if you want to help us even more, you can leave us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Heal Squad. You can also DM us anytime because we love connecting with you. And finally, you can also join us on Patreon for our monthly live heal events with world-class healers and ad-free episodes exclusive only to Patreon and our Super Heal Squad for as little as $10 a month. So go to patreon.com backslash heel squad to join. Getting better isn't easy, friends, but as I say all the time, it's a whole lot easier if we can do it together. We love you all so much, and we love doing this thing called life with you.